If you would, I would ask that you now stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word. We will read only two verses from Exodus chapter 20. Just two verses from the 20th chapter of Exodus, beginning in verse 12. This is the word of our God. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You may be seated. The past few Sundays during our study in the book of Exodus, we have been reviewing the Ten Commandments in pairs. This morning we are examining the Fifth and Sixth Commandments together. It makes sense to do so, I think, because they deal with the respect that we should show to persons and to life. Whenever Jesus was asked about the greatest of the laws, he replied to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Little question exists how the first four of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with God, while the next six concern our relationship with others. The point of such a sequence makes known to us that we will not show respect to other persons, to their life, and to their rights as we ought unless we first demonstrate appropriate respect to God. And the fact that the second half of God's law begins with honor your father and mother comes as no surprise. Augustine argued that if we do not show respect in our homes, it seems unlikely that we will have an inclination to display respect to others anywhere else. The word in Hebrew for honor is kaved. It is a word that literally means heavy or weighty. And it is the term that the Old Testament uses for God's glory. And just as kaved communicates the weightiness of the Lord's divine majesty, it also connects with the weightiness of parental position in the home. Failing to take this weightiness seriously has consequences, especially in light of the promise which accompanies the fifth commandment, that you may live long in the land. Mind you, such a promise is not a guarantee about the longevity of an individual's life. Rather, God is communicating a core truth to his people. They are preparing to go into a land of promise. And the timeless principle is simply this. As the family goes, so goes society. It should not surprise us that our nation is becoming more and more ungodly because we have devalued and we have deconstructed the family unit. 
Many people read the fifth commandment as if it were directed primarily or strictly to children. But that is not the case. It is written just like all the other commands to a community of faith. And it is why the Apostle Paul does not stop in Ephesians 6 verses 1 and 2 when he tells children to honor their parents. He follows that instruction up with a charge for fathers not to exasperate their children, but to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Again, a proper respect of persons will start with a proper understanding of God. And a proper understanding of God emerges primarily from parents who focus on guiding them in the truth. Proverbs 6 verse 20 reads, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Christian parents are to guide their children in the gospel. Not just by what they say, but in how they live. We will not exasperate our children, but we will nurture them in the faith. What does exasperation primarily mean? For one, it means I need to repent of the times that instead of disciplining my children, I have responded to them with an angry outburst. I am in no means justifying my sin, but has there ever been an earthly father or an earthly mother who perfectly parented their children? Clearly that is a rhetorical question. And yet our failures as moms and dads can actually present an opportunity to share the gospel. I have said this to my children before. I say it to them now even as they sit, hopefully listening to what their father is saying. <laughs> that I am a sinner. I need the gospel. I need Jesus. Do we say that to our children? Your dad, your mom, we're sinners. We failed you in this way. We need Jesus too. Exasperation also means failing to provide our children with blessing. In their book, The Gift of the Blessing, Gary Smalley and John Trent cite numerous examples of individuals who did not receive meaningful touch, who did not hear spoken words of high value, who did not experience active commitment from their parents in helping them to picture a promising future. You can read in Numbers chapter 6 how the nation of Israel was to pray consistently over their children these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In our homes, do we 
consistently pray and promote blessing over our children. And yet, what about the many children who did not experience blessing? What about the many adults now who still desire blessing from their parents, who still deeply long for it? The Bible promises in Psalm 27.10, Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me in. Many children, many teenagers, many adults need to hear that verse. They need to receive the blessing that comes from a good, good Father. And by coming to faith in Christ, they can receive the meaningful touch of the Holy Spirit. They can hear the words of highest value. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I delight. By being adopted into the family of God through Christ, they can picture a promising future. Two biblical principles thus arise as it pertains to children showing proper respect to their parents. One principle concerns those children who grow up outside the blessing and yet by grace come to faith in Jesus. In whatever way it proves possible, honor your father and your mother. Seek to model before them the love of Jesus now in your heart. In some instances, however, submitting to one's ungodly parents will not prove possible. A physically, mentally, or spiritually abused child whose parents tell her to remain quiet, she is not to honor them in that. A teenager whose parents order him not to attend church as soon as he is able should defy that order. Second principle, however, relates to those children who do grow up under the blessing. Their parents, albeit imperfect, pray for them, protect them, provide for them, counsel them, correct them, and cheer them on. God's Word says to listen to your parents, to trust your parents, to obey your parents. Sometimes, my sons, my daughter will disagree with me. Sometimes they will grow frustrated with how out of touch I am. And sometimes, believe it or not, they will even feel angry toward me. But as their father who seeks to raise them up under the blessing of God, I am due their honor and their respect. And nevertheless, could we not say just as no earthly father, just as no earthly mother is a perfect parent, no child honors his parents perfectly either. Let's face it, not one of us 
is a perfect child. Have you ever talked back to your parents? Did you ever talk back to your parents? Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Did you ever disobey your parents? Have you ever lied to your parents? Did you ever lie to your parents? Have you ever failed to give your aging parents the care and support that they need? Imagine with me for a moment that my father, who was a family doctor, and he would get up early every morning to go do his rounds, and it was summertime, and I liked to sleep in. Imagine for a moment he comes and he wakes me before he leaves early and he says, Son, before I get home from work today, you clean this room. It's an absolute pigsty. I don't know where to get that time. <laughs> but I go back to sleep. I sleep in until 10.30 a.m., you know, like any good-natured boy would do. <laughs> I go downstairs, I give me a bowl of fruity pebbles, and just as I am eating my breakfast, the phone rings, it's my best friend Scott, he says, we're playing football, come out and join us. Boom. I'm out the door in a flash. I play all day with my friends, and it's almost dinner time, and I realize something. I have not cleaned my room. I rush home, and as soon as I walk in the door, my father is sitting there at the dining room table. Hi, Dad. I'm going to go clean my room right now. No, son! Until you can appreciate what it's like to have a room, you're going to sleep in the garage. It's, it's his house. He can set the rules. But what if instead... My father looks at me and says, that's okay, son, I got home early, and I cleaned your room for you. Now, there are some people who are going to hear that, and they're going to think to themselves, wow, next time my dad asks me to clean my room, it's no big deal. But the person who understands the deep, deep love the Father has for him or for her will say, wow, next time my dad asks me to clean my room, it's going to be cleaner than he's ever seen it. And that is the gospel. The Heavenly Father cleaned our filthy rooms for us through the one and only perfect child. His name is Jesus. Having come to understand the depth of the Father's love for us, a proper response of the gospel means we will want to show honor and respect to God. And that falls under the first tablet, if you will, of the law. And then growing out of that, we will also give honor and respect to other persons. That falls under the second tablet of the law, if you will. But that extends beyond parents, this respect that we give. Paul will talk about 
in Ephesians 6 that we're supposed to honor our employers. Paul will talk about in Romans 13 verse 1 how we're supposed to honor the governing officials, those who have been appointed to lead over us. Paul will talk about honoring our pastors in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And yet, as with our parents, sometimes we will need to disobey. In the words of Peter and the apostles in Acts 5 verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than man. A biblical example of such a case is in Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 to 21. It's where the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua, disobeyed the order of the governing official over them. It also reminds me of how many Catholic hospitals refuse to provide the morning after pill. Those examples demonstrate that we don't just show respect to persons in authority, we must show respect for all life. It leads us to the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. Now hear me on this. In Matthew 5, 21 and 21, Jesus says this commandment merely, it transcends merely taking an innocent person's physical life. It also means devaluing life by any means, be it physically, emotionally, or spiritually. We must, therefore, value life. We value the lives of the unborn. The psalmist writes in Psalm 139, verse 13, For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. George Phillips says, There is a devastating inconsistency in human thinking, and at times we need to expose it. There is, for example, an understandable outcry in our own day against killing animals or about saving trees. But there is much less of an outcry with regard to killing babies. We must value the lives of every young child. This means it should bother us to see the inequity that exists in our public schools simply because one area has higher property taxes than another. We must value the lives of those caught up in addiction by doing whatever we can to provide them with the space and the time they need to experience healing. We must value the lives of those trapped in the damaging cycles of sex trafficking and prostitution. We must value the lives of those incarcerated by sharing with them the good news of Jesus Christ. We must value the lives of the disabled, the sick, and the elderly as we visit them and pray over them. We must value the lives of all persons by not putting them down, by 
by not making sexist or racist remarks or by not whispering about their reputations. Proverbs 12, verse 18 says, words can pierce like swords. We must value lives by promoting justice. And while this might seem contradictory, that can include war, and it can include, and it can include capital punishment. God does not prohibit just war. I think of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. If you know anything about Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pacifist. And yet, even this pacifist attempted to assassinate Adolf Hitler. He explained, if you see a madman in a car seeking to run over a group of innocent children, wouldn't you do anything within your power to wrench the wheel from that madman's hands? God does not prohibit capital punishment either. While we read, you shall not murder, one chapter later in Exodus 21 verse 12, the Lord says, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. Still, this principle only applies to premeditated murder. Because Exodus 21, 13 and 14 makes another distinction between the deliberate killing of an innocent person and that which we call manslaughter. In light of all that the Sixth Commandment involves, and I have merely scratched the surface, how many of us have committed murder in our hearts. You may never have physically taken another person's life, but have you ever damaged someone's spirit? By the standard that Jesus sets, Philip Graham Wyken says, it is as wrong to hate those who carry out abortions as it is for them to perform them in the first place. Let that sink in for a moment. Whenever we allow hate to settle into our hearts, we have committed murder. Are you a murderer? Have you ever committed murder by the standards that Jesus sets? Ike Brown, Ike Brown Sr., I should say, a retired Jacksonville police officer, remembers the day when 21-year-old Takoya Kreiner walked into the courtroom. Kreiner had murdered Brown's son. At first, Brown says he wanted what any father would conceivably want, revenge. But to his surprise, things played out differently. Listen to what he said. When the day came for court, and I see him for the first time, I tell you, I just loved him. I can't explain it. I didn't have the feelings I thought I was going to have. I thought I was going to be angry. I hate you. I want you to die. But none of that 
Instead, he begged the state not to pursue the death penalty. I said, I don't want him to die. Now get this. Not only did Brown forgive Kreiner for killing his son, he ended up adopting him as his son. That is yet again another picture of the gospel. We deserve the death penalty. Every one of us. And at Pentecost, Peter proclaimed to those present that they had crucified the Lord of glory. When they were cut to the quick, they asked what they must do. And Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. The Heavenly Father does not want any of us. He doesn't want anyone to die in our sin. He wants us to enter into his family as adopted sons and as adopted daughters. We must simply receive the Father's deep, deep love for us and be adopted into his family. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for murderers like you and like me. He prayed in Luke 23, verse 24, Father, forgive them. So I ask you, have you received the Savior's offer of forgiveness? If so, if you say yes, I have received Christ. You are supposed to forgive murderers too. Think of the words of Stephen. At the end of Acts chapter 7, he cried out while individuals pelted him with stones simply for proclaiming the gospel to them. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Think of the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3 verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Think of the words of Christ who redefined the measure of honor and respect that we should show to all persons in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you have been forgiven of your murdering heart, are you also for to forgive? Who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to call? Think deeply for a moment about these two commandments that we have explored and ask yourself, 
short of God's law do I fall. How far short do I fall? Don't you need the hope of the gospel? Don't you need to know the Father's deep love for you? I know I do. Let's pray together. Lord, for our sin, which is many, for the way that we have dishonored you, which is often, for the way we have not shown respect and honor to our parents as we ought, for the times in which in our hearts we have killed another person, for the times that we have broken your commandments. We repent. We confess our sins before you. I, I would say, Lord, help us also be able to confess our sins before brothers and sisters so that in that accountability we might grow stronger in you. But for the times in which we have fallen so short. Cover us, I pray, with the good news of the gospel. That Jesus Christ, the perfect Son, died the death I deserve so that I might be adopted into your family. Holy Spirit, as you move today, if you are moving in someone's heart, do not let them tune you out. And then we respond. For you, Lord Christ, are faithful. And we pray this in your name.